today as we go through the snapshots of Jesus. Specifically, a couple of stories out of the Gospel of Mark. And as I was putting this together, I asked myself this question personally, and it's the question I want to ask you. It's this. As you walk through life, how do you do it? And I mean walking not only in the dry spells, but also in the richness of life, because sometimes life is really, really good. So in the process of trying to figure out how we walk through life, my question to you is, do you take this journey with Christ each step of the way? Because if you do, you've got some help beyond the help of this world. And you may have a great day right now. Or you may be watching this from the Ukraine, though I understand the internet is really hard to access right now. But we regularly get from all over Europe emails about people watching this show. I know show, it's not a show, I guess it is on, on YouTube, but this, this class. And I know, for example, we've got a number of people who religiously, bad pun, watch from Germany. And, and I'm here to tell everyone from any corner of this earth, if you're going to walk this walk, I suggest you get strong help. The help of you and me is only as strong as what's behind us. And so ultimately, we need to be looking for someone who's got an ability to help us in the good times and the bad. And that makes these snapshots that we've got this morning worth examining. Because what I've done is looked at the Gospel of Mark, and I've segregated out where Mark puts four miracles right in a row. And these miracles crescendo. They, they, they start out impressive. But they just get more and more and more impressive. It's like that proverbial snowball rolling down the hill. And so on the heels of Jesus teaching parables about the kingdom of God, he begins to demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God. And the first miracle is one where he defeats nature. The second miracle is one where he defeats demons. And the third miracle is one where he defeats sickness. And the fourth miracle is one where he defeats death itself. So let's look at these miracles. We'll dissect a couple of them more so than another one. But we'll start with the first, nature. And this, if you're following along in your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 4. It's verse 35 where Jesus has just finished the parables about the kingdom. And so within the context of that, we need to locate Jesus. And if we put Jesus on a map, if this is the Middle East, we can zoom in, we can find Israel, and Jesus is around the Sea of Galilee for these stories and these events and these miracles. So if you see the Sea of Galilee there, let's proceed. We'll start with Mark 4, verses 35 and 36. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. 
And leaving the crowd, they took with them uh, in the boat, just as he was. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. The English reads a little stilted, so does the Greek. That's just a weird, it just doesn't flow right. And a lot of scholars are, you know, why? I, I just think Greek wasn't Mark's principal language, and sometimes his Greek's not as pretty as it might have been, just like sometimes my English ain't so good either. Um, after leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. Now, we know what these boats probably looked like. In 1986, the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Knesseret, had dropped low enough to where these two fellas were out there, and they found a boat, an old boat wreck. And they alerted the authorities, and the authorities dug it out. The boat dates from the time of Jesus. They date the boat. You can do the radiocarbon dating. You can do all the wonderful things of science. And they date this boat to the time of Jesus. They excavated it. It was this massive ordeal. They had to pump all these foam into it to make sure that it didn't come out. It was like six different kinds of wood used in it. And uh, so they, they pull it out and you can go see it in a museum there. The Alon Museum has got the Galilee fishing boat from the time of Jesus. They can reconstruct the boat and know what it would have looked like. And that boat is 27 feet long. Now these chairs, what do you figure these chairs? About two feet across? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen, twenty. You've got about a four foot aisle. So from uh, would you mind standing up for me, brother? From right there down to Brent Johnson. Brent, would you stand up? That's the size of the boat. Okay? Now, width, the boat's about seven foot, six inches wide. Flat bottom. The sides of the boat, four foot, four inches deep. So let's see, I'm about eight feet tall. In my dreams. And so uh, that's the boat. All right. I want you to envision this boat as we're reading through this story. Because Mark assumes you already know about the boat. As he just talks about it. Now the Sea of Galilee is, is, is a lake. Lake Knesseret. It's, it's down below sea level. It's not as low as the Dead Sea, but it is below sea level. So it's kind of in a basin. So the winds can come and whip it up. That's what we've got. Now, there a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling. Now, if the boat is four foot four inches from the top to the bottom, you know it's going to sit in the water. So if it's sitting in the water for about a foot, those waves only need to get about three and a half feet, and they're lapping over. Great windstorm arose. So the boat's already filling with water from the waves. Now, 1992, an Israeli film director caught on film 
a Sea of Galilee storm. That was a horrendous storm. But it's worth looking at to give you an idea. The year, 1992. When a famous Israeli director, Moshe Alpert, captures one of the greatest storms ever recorded on tape in the Sea of Galilee. And if we use the same analysis method, we can estimate that the height of the waves to be as high as 10 feet. On smaller boats, waves this high can definitely be considered life-threatening, even... All right, I'm gonna, in the interest of time, I'm going to cut his narrative short. Bottom line is, you got a boat that's sitting where the bottom of the, the boat is four foot four inches, but you're a foot in the water, you get a three and a half foot wave, you're bailing. And you're trying to get to shore as fast as your stubby little arms are going to row. Okay? Well, the great windstorm arises. The waves are breaking into the boat. The boat's filling up. And by the way, before I leave this verse, I want you to see this word great, megale, in the Greek. It comes from the Greek word mega. M-E-G-A, mega. Megas in the Greek means mega or large. Megamart, big market, okay? Mega in the Greek. So Mark's using that word, and it's important because he uses it again in a minute. And, and so just remember that. There's a great windstorm, a mega windstorm that arises and breaks into the boat. Now, Jesus is asleep in the stern. That's the back end of the boat. Uh, let's go back. So, Jesus is back here, the back end, and he's sleeping. That's the prow. Excuse me. I went backwards. I transposed the boat in the video. Um, he, so he's on the back end of the boat. And he's asleep. Meanwhile, the disciples are doing some major bailing. He's asleep on the cushion. This word cushion is uh, uh, one that's basically a, a pillow. It's, it's, it's a head pillow. It's where you put your head, but they'd sit on him as well. So he's, he's on the back of the boat and he's got the cushion and he's asleep and they wake him up and they say to him, teacher, rabbi. Now Mark uses the Greek word for teacher, didaskale, uh, 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 it's teacher in the directive form or vocative, but he says to him, Rabbi, do you not care that we're perishing? Now, if we're just reading this, I'm worried that we don't get the impertinence of what they're saying. Remember, Mark started out, this gospel started out with the first half of the first chapter giving us God's view of things. But the whole rest of the book is a bunch of humanity looking at Jesus, not having a clue who he really is. 
And so we have God's divine understanding, heaven's view of things, but now we're in the middle of the human stuff where humans are like, I don't know who this guy is. Pretty, not, not, not your run-of-the-mill guy. But his disciples are speaking rather rudely to him. Um, this, is, this is harsh in the Greek. Uh, in fact, there was a Scottish Bible translator in the early 1900s, James Moffat. And I like the way he translated it. He says, teacher, are we to drown for all you care? Now, they were not telling Jesus, wake up and calm the storm. They had no clue he could do that. They want him to wake up and bail the boat with them. They're all bailing the boat and he's sleeping. And okay, so he's Mr. Teacher and he's been teaching everybody and he's tired. What good does that do if we all drown? Hey, buddy boy, wake up. Do you give a rip if we all drown? That's the way we'd have translated it in Lubbock, Texas. And we wouldn't have been far off. I mean, wake up. Don't you care that we're perishing? And when we read that, we need to see that warning sign that this is really insensitive of them. This is politically incorrect. If they had a clue he was the Son of God, that he was God incarnate, God made man, fully divine, do you think for a moment they'd have talked to him that way? I can guarantee you they would not. You, you don't go up to someone who's got the authority, who can snap their fingers and turn you into nothingness. Who's got the ability to open the gates of heaven or slam them shut in your face. Who's got the ability to send you to hell. You don't treat those people generally with impertinence. They just didn't have a clue. And what I think is also really cool about this story is Jesus does not look at them and say, how dare you speak to me that way? I am your God. I called you to follow me. And you want to chew me out for sleeping when I'm tired? If you want me to help bail the boat, you ask me nicely. Nah, Jesus doesn't say any of that. So while Jesus doesn't have that human reaction, we still shouldn't miss the fact he was asleep. He was tired. He'd been teaching all day. Wore him out. And do we ever think of Jesus so human that he got tired and needed to take a nap? And he had enough faith in God? And, I mean, heavens, he's in the boat with a bunch of lifetime fishermen. If they can't handle the boat, they need a new job. Jesus has got every reason in the world to think he can sleep and he's taking a nap. They not only wake him up rudely, they wake him up. 
Now, I've got four daughters and a wife. I've got a son, but he doesn't matter in this dialogue. <laughs> Out of my four daughters and a wife, that's five containers of estrogen that have made it through my house. <laughs> and out of those five, there are two that you can wake up and they'll be fine. But there are three that unless you're a crying baby, you better not wake up. At least not if you're within maybe five feet. <laughs> now, after they wake up, they're fine. But that precise moment when they're being awakened, when they need their sleep, they're not happy over it. And it just takes them a minute for their brain to remember that they have Christian virtue. <laughs> Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. And if we don't see him asleep and we miss the fact he was tired, then we're missing something about the humanity of the weary Jesus. But this same story that talks of his humanity contrasts it to his divinity. Because when he wakes up, he doesn't chew out the apostles or disciples at the time. When he wakes, he doesn't say, all right, give me a bucket, I'll bail with you. He just wakes up and he rebukes the wind. Epitomao is the word rebuke. Where is it? Ah, here it is. Epitomason is the form. He rebukes the wind. Epitomao is the same word that's used when Jesus rebukes demons. He rebukes the wind. He says to the sea, Peace, be still. It's interesting the way that's translated. The, the irony is the Greek word for, for peace. It's not irony. It's siopa. Siopa means... Uh, shh, shh, quiet, quiet down. Silencio. Be quiet. And then it's got the same word. Pesioposo. In a different form. So it's, it's a, a, a kind of a, a, a reflective aspect of it. So it's saying, shh, make yourself quiet. He just tells the wind, cut it out. Stop. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So this Jesus, who's got humanity, by the mysteries of God, is also divinity. And we see the divine power of Jesus here. There's a passage in Psalm 89, 8 through 10, that people readily turn to because it gives, the, it gives the down low on what Jesus is doing here. 89, 8 through 10. It says, O God, O Lord, God of hosts, 
who is mighty as you are, Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. He's not mighty in a deceptive, devious, tricking, hateful way. He's mighty and he is faithful all around. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Jesus has the power of the Lord God because Jesus is not only human, but he is divine. Now, I love this. And here's what happens next. And a great windstorm arose. Remember that? Megas. Now we have, he awakes, he rebukes the wind, says, peace be still. The wind ceased and there was a great mega calm. So Mark says it was a great windstorm, but the calmness was just as great. Jesus commands it. God rebukes the storm because he isn't simply a creature experiencing the winds. He's the creator of the winds. Think about that. He's not simply a creature who's experiencing the wind. He's the creator of the winds. And he can say, shh, stop it. Cut it out. Quit. Then he says to his disciples, what's going on, man? Why are you all so scared? Where's your trust? Where's your faith? And then they're filled with mega fear. We got our third mega. So you got a mega storm that becomes mega calm and it mega scares them to death. And they said to each other, well, uh, who is this guy? I mean, even the winds and the waves obey him. I mean, we wake him up to help bail on the boat. This guy's like, whoa. Now, before we leave this story, in the 400s, St. Augustine wrote on this. And he had something that was really special. St. Augustine said the following. He said, we need to awaken Christ in us when we go through storms of life. When life brings storms your way, rouse Christ. Wake him up. Remember him. Let him keep watch within you. Pay heed to him. If a temptation arises, it's the wind. It disturbs you. It's the surging of the sea. This is the moment to awaken Christ and let him remind you that he stills the seas. When I was growing up, uh, mom will remember this, uh, our hymnal. I think it was, um, I forgot... Was it Doug Perrin who was leading singing some at the church we grew up in? Um, or Tim, no, it was Doug Perrin, I think. And he just, he led this hymn like nobody's business. 
I don't know if you know the hymn or not. It was lyrics were written by a Baptist woman, uh, Mary Ann Baker, in the late 1800s. And the preacher at that church put it to music. We need to get Jarrett, see what his musical talents are. This guy's doing everything else incredible. Maybe he can put something to music. Maybe not. I don't know. Do you know this hymn? Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is o'ershadowed with blackness. No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How canst thou lie asleep when each moment so madly is threatening a grave in the angry deep? Then the chorus, the winds and the waves shall obey thy will. Peace be still, peace be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace be still, peace be still. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace, peace be still. Second verse. Master, with anguish of spirit... I bow in my grief today. The depths of my sad heart are troubled. Oh, waken and save, I pray. Torrents of sin and of anguish sweep o'er my sinking soul. And I perish, I perish, dear master. Oh, hasten and take control. The winds and the waves shall obey thy will. Peace be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons of men or whatever it be, no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey thy will. Peace be still. Last verse. Master, the terror is over. The elements sweetly rest. Earth's sun in the calm lake is mirrored and heavens within my breast. Linger, O blessed Redeemer, leave me alone no more, and with joy I shall make the blessed harbor and rest on the blissful shore. We need to take the message of the miracle on the sea to heart. That's the miracle of nature. Next is the miracle of demons. So Jesus gets to the other shore. He goes to the, the, to the, within the, the region. There's a demon-possessed man of the Gadarenes, actually a legion of demons in the man. And this is the one that Jesus casts out and casts them into the pigs, and they take the pigs down into the, to the water. I've spoken of that parable recently in here and talked about it some, so I'm not going to take the time to do it this morning, but you can read it in Mark 5, 1 through 20. It's the miracle that follows on the heel of this. So Jesus is, conquers nature, Jesus, Jesus conquers demons, and then we get to the next where he conquers sickness and death. And I'm putting both of those together because the stories go together. That's found in Mark 5, 21 and the following verses. And Mark does this, oh, at least three times I can think of in his gospel. He does a sandwich. He's like running a deli, the way he does his, off, his uh, gospel. And he'll take a story and he'll slice it in half and he'll put another story in the middle. It's a sandwich. So instead of, uh, you know, that 
what do you think that is? If that's pork, that's not the kind of sandwich he made because he was Jewish and he probably didn't eat pork. So let's just pretend that's brisket. Yeah, that's a brisket sandwich. So here is the two stories. They're together. Let's start with the top crust. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, seeing Jesus, the, the well, ruler of the synagogue, that's a weird word, Archisuna Gogon, um, it's, um, you know, synagogues didn't really have rulers, uh, it's probably like a, a fellow who helped put the worship together or something like that. But he's a leader. Let's say it that way. A leader of the synagogue comes. So he, he'd have been a, he'd have been a, a Lord High Muckety Muck. I mean, he's, he's a notable fellow. He's going to have a good seat at the synagogue. Okay? He's got Miss Carolyn's seat at the synagogue. <laughs> Says... Um, he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he implores Jesus earnestly. Different earnest. Saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her. First of all, little daughter is very touching. Because Mark's going to tell us in a minute she's 12. 12 was marrying age. 11 to 13 generally is when girls were engaged or hitched, um, even if the marriage wasn't consummated yet. So she's not such a little girl. But I got to tell you, my oldest daughter is going to be 34 this year, and she's still my little girl. So I'm, I'm touched by the tenderness of the dad saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. Now, in Hebrew mindset, the parts of the body had significance beyond simply the anatomical part of the body. So hands were symbolic and significant of work that you do. Fingers were symbolic and significant of delicate, fine work that you do. So when he says, come lay your hands on her, he's saying, come do your work. Come do the work you need to do so that she may be made well and live. This word made well, sozo, is the verb form in the Greek. Sozo, it's sothe here, sozo is the same word that's used for saved, as in salvation. So please come so that she can be saved. And while he's not, while the, the daddy's not thinking about eternal salvation, when Mark writes this gospel and uses that word instead of a word heal, which is another Greek word he could have used, when he uses the word be made well, Mark knows he's using a loaded term for the church. This is Jesus who saves. So come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus went with him. 
and there's a great crowd that's following him. By the way, different Greek word that's translated great here, so don't uh, be looking for mega. You won't find it um, here. You've got polus, which means many. So a lot of people, a great crowd, a many crowd followed him and thronged about him. So you got Jesus going to help the leader of the synagogue's daughter with massive crowd all around him, all right? And that's the top piece of the sandwich. Then here comes the middle before we get to the bottom crust. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Now, when women had a discharge of blood, that put them unclean under Jewish law, under Leviticus. They were unclean for a certain number of days. And if this woman's got a continuous discharge of blood, she's unclean all the time. She's not allowed to be sociable. She's not allowed to be social. She's not allowed to be out. She's not, nobody's allowed to touch her. She's not allowed to touch anybody. That's the way the law is. She suffered much under many different doctors. She spent everything she had. She wasn't any better. She was getting worse. And she heard the reports about Jesus. And she, oh, by the way, keep in mind 12 years. 12 years. It's notable here. So she heard the reports about Jesus. She comes up behind him in the crowd. She touches his garment. She said, if I touch even his garments, I will be sozoed. I will be saved. I will be made well. The same thing Jairus wanted for his daughter is what this woman wanted for herself. Now, I'm not faulting Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. My daughter's sick. I'm going to do anything I can for my daughter. But I just wonder why nobody was coming up to Jesus trying to help this poor woman. Anyway, immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body she was healed of her disease. By the way, here is the other Greek word for heal. Yeah, tie. She was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples, man, they said to him, Hey, like there's a big crowd pressing around you and you want to know who touched you? They just had like the rudest, harshest tone with the Lord. I mean, this is again, like, come on, guys. You're talking to the Son of God. They clearly didn't realize it. They're like, hey, buddy boy, look around. Who touched you? Who didn't touch you would be an easier question to answer. That's the way we'd have translated that in Lubbock. And we wouldn't have been far off. But Jesus still doesn't chew them out. He, he, he just, 
He takes it on the chin, just keeps going. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and falls down before him and tells him the whole story. I am going to take a time out for a moment. How many of y'all are women? Raise your hand. Excellent. Larry, put your hand down. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. Did you know that in the society in which Jesus walked, that most of the well-to-do men and most of society left women to themselves? You didn't get to sit with your husband at the synagogue. You didn't get to study the Torah. You didn't get to do so many of the things the men did. Your job was to have children, rear the children, and take care of the house. And you don't need to know Torah to do that. And you don't need to have respect in the community to do that. Now, that's not true for all, but that was the general rule. And Jesus was not that way. This story is in here telling us Jesus cares and listens to gender-free. This is why Paul says in Christ there's neither male nor female. The woman trembles, falls down, tells him the whole truth, and he says, daughter. So you got Jairus who's concerned about his daughter getting healed. Jesus heals this woman, his daughter. Not physical daughter. But he's saying that's his relationship. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. It's a marvelous, marvelous story. And I don't want to leave the story without urging us to realize that there were crowds all around Jesus. But only one touched him in faith. Just being close to Jesus doesn't change your life. Faith does. Just coming to church doesn't change your life. Trusting in Jesus does. Just hanging around Christians doesn't change your life. Trusting Jesus does. Just reading about Jesus doesn't change your life. Trusting Jesus does. I've got a lot of friends who have studied Scripture. And I know... Not close friends, but I've got a number of friends who teach Scripture who don't believe in Jesus. It's just their area of academic interest. One of the most prolific writers in in certain areas of Scripture and faith is Bart Ehrman. And he teaches a New Testament class at University of... North Carolina, Chapel Hill, somewhere. I don't know. It's not Texas Tech, so I don't pay that much attention. But he teaches a New Testament class. And a bunch of incoming freshmen take his class, excited because they're believers. And he'll spend the whole class explaining that the Scripture is invalid. It's not the Word of God. He doesn't believe. He just teaches. See, just, just reading about Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. Just going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You, you, need, you want to be healed. You want to be saved. You need to touch the Lord. 
and let his saving power touch you. And that's done by faith. And that's what Jesus says. It's your faith that did this. It's not magic. It's not magic in my cloak. It's not magic in my garment. It's not some magic trick. Your faith has made you well. I think that's why Jesus calls her out too. He doesn't want her walking away thinking that there was some magic transaction, that he's got some Harry Potter garment. He wants her to know that it's the faith that God recognized that healed her. So that's the middle story, but now we got to get back to the crust. we got to get back to that first story. Because while Jesus has this interlude, and while he's speaking, there comes from Jairus' house someone who says, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the rabbi anymore. Now Jesus hears this. And Jesus says to Jairus, he says, hey, don't fear, only believe. Now Jesus has just said, your faith made you well. This is while he's speaking that this happens. Jairus hears that, your faith has made you well. The word for faith, Let's go back. Pistis in the Greek, it's got the pi. I, it looks like an O with a long line on the top. That's their S, T, I, and then the final S looks pretty much like our S. Pistis, that's the word for your faith has made you well. Now here we've got, whoops, Jesus saying, don't fear only believe. And it's the same pi, iota, sigma, tau. It's just got the verb ending. It's the same word. Have faith. It's just when it's in a verb form, they typically will translate that that word believe. When it's in a noun form, they'll translate it faith. But it's the same word. So Jairus has just heard Jesus say, your faith has made you well, your belief has made you well. And then he turns to Jairus and he says, don't don't be afraid, you just have faith. I've taken care of my daughter, now let's go take care of your daughter. And so they go. They come to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus' house. Jesus sees a commotion. People are weeping. They're wailing loudly. And as Jesus enters, he says to him, hey, why are you making a commotion? Why are you weeping? This child's not dead, she's sleeping. They laughed at Jesus. Big mistake laughing. I I would have rather said, can I watch? But instead they laugh and he puts them outside. You want to laugh? Okay, you're in time out. You go outside. You don't get to see. He takes the child's father and mother and those who were with him, those were the three uh, disciples that he took with him, and he goes in where the child is. Now, again, they're being politically incorrect too, but Jesus is a little more scolding of them than he is his apostles, his followers. Taking her by the hand, he says to the child, Talitha kumi. That's Aramaic, and Mark translates it for us. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age. 
I hope you're seeing some parallels here. Both females, both daughters. One, a problem for 12 years. The other one dead after 12 years. It's an interesting set of analogies because Mark wants us to read these stories together. And he wants us to appreciate that the same way the dad feels about his little daughter, who's marrying age, we might add, is the same way Jesus feels about someone who is unclean and not fit to even be in the crowd, much less to touch him. And yet Jesus feels for that stranger in such need the same way this man feels for his tender daughter. And if we miss that, we miss the whole point of the sandwich. That's why Jesus puts them together. So what do we have here? We've got these four miracles. Jesus conquers nature. He conquers demons, he conquers sickness, and he conquers death. All on the heels of parables talking about the kingdom of God. I got news for you. There is no power. No power. None. No power. There's not a power in nature. There's not a power in the demonic world. There's not a power in illness. There's not a power in death. There is no power that can withstand the kingdom of God or its Lord. None. Anything you've got in your life cannot withstand the kingdom of God and its Lord. You say, well, I've taken this to the kingdom of God and his Lord. I've got a dear friend who, who had a, an adult son with cancer. And, and just said it before the Lord, knowing that God can cure that. And praying right up to the time that son passed away. And fully confident that God was going to heal him. To God's incredible glory. And God did not. So what do we say? Was that illness withstanding the kingdom of its Lord? If that were the end of the story and death were the end, that is indeed what we would say. But the assurance of faith is that he was healed more fully than he could ever be healed in a human body in a fallen world. Now that doesn't change the agony, the misery, and the total unfairness of it all. But it's not an abandonment. It's not God being defeated because God will have the last word with a resurrection of the dead. I've got news for you. Unless the Lord comes back, I'm looking at a sea of people who are on their deathbed. And you're looking at one up here. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may not be for 50 years. Someone said to me the other day, don't you want to live to be 120? I said, no. I mean, but we don't know. But our whole faith is that death is not the end. Death is the, 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 the major step toward the total healing. 
And so as you're walking through this life, if you're in the dry times and you're walking in the dry times, walk with the Lord. If you're in the rich times where the sun is out and the wind's behind you, walk with the Lord. Don't try to live this life on your own. Get the strong help that comes from God. So here is my last song for the day. Before I give you your points for home, I want you to have this song. This song is by a friend of mine, John Michael Talbot. And John Michael has put together these stories into this song, which combines not only the healing, but it combines the, the sea. It's got all of the miracles rolled in to this one song. And I want you to have this song because this is a song that can nourish and sustain you in those times of life. So the name of the song is Healer of My Soul. I'll put the lyrics up as he's singing, as he's playing.
So with that, I bid you peace, but here are your three points to take home. Number one, keep Jesus with you in life's storms especially. And seek him out. Wake him up. He's already there. He's in the boat. He's, but, 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 but you need him. You need to realize, call out to him. Let him still the storms in your life. And put faith over fear. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. Trust. Because we have a kingdom to which we belong that is greater, with a Lord that is greater than anything that can ever be thrown at us. Got it? Let me bless you in the name of Jesus, and let's go to church. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessings on all who hear this message, that you would instill in their soul the peace of calling out your name and knowing that you heal. You heal us from sin. You heal us from sickness. You heal us from fear. You heal us from darkness. You heal us from all that assault us. As children of your kingdom, Father, we cry out to you and pray your ministry upon the saints. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys next Sunday.